Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party, an Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's the day treating you? Shay has been quite the week. I honestly <laughs> can't remember a time like this in the Apex world, and I'm excited to speak about it. Yeah, we got some crazy stuff going on in Apex, crazy stuff going on in life. We just had a great time celebrating birthdays last week, doing a birthday stream on Twitch. It was great. Thank you to everyone that stopped by over there. But yeah, we got a fun one. Today we're discussing some news and in that we're discussing some of the server stuff going on in Apex and kind of diving into the business of Respawn and Apex Legends to kind of give you guys a little report so hopefully you can make more knowledgeable opinions and decisions based around things on Twitter and social media, all that kind of fun stuff. Before we break that down, though, we want you guys to join us on Discord to chat Apex, find teammates, and receive third-party updates. Link for that is in the bio. If you want to help us continue the third-party podcast and continue building this amazing community, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The link's in the description. If you do choose to support us, you can get a ton of different benefits from exclusive merch, gaming sessions with us, Discord roles, tons more. So if you're interested, please check it out. It'd mean a lot to us both. Appreciate it a ton. With that, though, let's dive into the news. First piece of news, which is such a fun one. Big shout out to Nicewig for being the first Apex Legends content creator to join 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves is one that Henry and I have been a fan of for a long time. Nicewig, one of our favorite content creators. Great to see that combo come together. Are you hyped for the man? It's really exciting. So well-deserved. He's such an amazing creator and a great guy. And I couldn't think of a, a better org for him. So it's really cool for him, but also like you said, this is, you know, a big step for Apex, you know, no getting doubt. on type of a, a global brand like 100 Thieves is a uh, pretty big from a influencer standpoint. It was cool to see things kind of come full circle for him where he a lot of people say kind of his rise to fame came from being hosted by uh, I believe maybe Dizzy from 100 Thieves mm -hmm. or something at the time and so to see now he's coming to 100 Thieves, he's been grinding, he's working his ass off and uh makes great, great content. Go check out Nicewig if you can. Next piece of news. Let's talk Rampart for a second. So with the recent changes to Rampart, pick rate jumped to 7.1% and is now down to about 5.3%. We'll probably continue to decline a little bit and we'll see where she ends up settling. Uh, what are kind of some of your first impressions though on the changes to Rampart and how it's affecting gameplay for you or playing against at the same time? You see a lot more ramparts. Like this pick rate is mm -hmm. definitely clear. You can feel it if you've been playing a lot this last week. Um, I think that it's a substantial power buff to rampart. There's no doubt about that. It's really fun. I've always enjoyed playing her. I enjoy playing her a lot more now. Um, a lot of players are thinking that as far as defensive legends go, rampart will continue to go down after the hype kind of fizzles out over this patch and will probably settle back below Caustic. I I think that she may be able to stay above Caustic for mm -hmm. the remainder of the season, you know, barring no more crazy changes. Um, and I think she's in a really healthy space. I don't think we're going to see a Rampart meta. Um, you know, she's a top six pick right now in terms mm -hmm. of popularity. I don't think that's going to, you know, maintain, but it's really cool to see that she is so popular. 
And something that I've noticed by looking at Apex Legends status is it looks like the change in Rampart players is across the board. Everybody is, you mm-hmm. know, trying her out, but there's were large decreases in the amount of Octane and Bloodhound players. And when you think about that, you're like, well, I don't know. If you're an Octane main, you're probably not jumping ship on a permanent basis Mm -hmm. to Rampart. So I think you're going to see kind of a rubber band effect of going back to normal and uh, Rampart kind of settling into the lower middle to bottom despite the changes. Yeah, I mean, if she could settle in around that caustic area, I think that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you looked at the defensive legends and you said, hey, Rampart or caustic, like, which one do you want to work with? Let's see some diversity in game. You know, it's a buff to caustic and that there's less caustics. If more people are playing Rampart, then maybe we're of that play style. So it would be really fun and kind of the more legends that are played in rotation, I think the better and the healthier for the game and gives the people that listen to a pod like this a little leg up for knowing all the little buffs and nerfs of every legend all the time and staying up to date. So that would be a great place for her to settle in. And I think you and I have both been, like you said, fans of Rampart for a while. So we're happy to see her kind of get some love and Watson's next, hopefully, of those defensive legends. Hopefully. Next piece of news, just kind of an interesting one. Ash's model got a redesign in Apex lately. And so the big difference being that the cracks on her face in the hologram have disappeared and gone back to the plain porcelain white uh, unbroken. Is this, do you think, going to be a change that we see explained in lore or one where it's just like they decided to switch up the looks or something? I'm kind of torn on where it might go and why we kind of got this change now, essentially. Yeah, it's very odd that we got a change in arenas and it just was not announced and there wasn't any lore or rationale behind it. And I think that's what's making a lot of players think, well, this is probably laying the foundations for more accurate representation of what Ash will look like in game as a playable character. Her model now definitely looks a lot more like it did in the Titanfall Mm -hmm. and like original concept of what we thought she was going to look like in Apex. So that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I I certainly agree. She looks a lot more similar to what she did in Titanfall. Um, But, you know, it's also completely possible that she just repaired her faceplate, you know, and there's a couple Mm -hmm. changes because, you know, there's some sort of lore lore substance going on there. But uh, it's definitely something that has piqued both of our interests and we will be monitoring it closely. We'll keep you guys updated as always. But let's do it. Let's talk about the big news. I want to say of the day, but of the last week or so, the servers. So for anyone that maybe took a break, is coming back, unfamiliar, here's the kind of the the roadmap of what happened uh, since the launch of the latest Apex Legends patch. There's been ongoing server issues with either not being able to connect to the game or being able to get in and then being disconnected from the game. Uh, this was pretty dang unfortunate and it was the first time i think since we started playing apex that we actively could not play the game when we wanted to i think you and i uh were definitely on the uh maybe luckier side of some of these beginnings of the seasons with how it was affecting our personal gameplay and this is just tough to see server issues right now it's coming amidst a really fun patch where everyone's really excited we got a lot of large streamers 
praising and playing the game right now. Nick Merckx and Ninja being two examples of that. Don't really want them coming into the game right now and having this kind of experience. Uh, Apex, they've really stated that they've been aware of this and are working on things with a patch that went live as you're listening to this yesterday or the day before yesterday that was supposed to help. And then another patch that's going live the day you're listening to this Wednesday uh, to really solve stuff and increase server capacity, get things working. And there's some other news that came out of this and then we can kind of chat about our experience. First, Respawn will be unable to reinstate RP lost due to disconnects and timeouts, which I know is disappointing to some people. Um, And in part because of that, the ranked split is being extended by a week until September 28th and shortening the Kings Canyon split rather than extending the season in its entirety. Uh, One popular workaround for people experiencing the issues still is disabling animated banner poses, which has been confirmed by the devs to actually be uh, part of the problem and one that is an actual fix that is working. So good for me on my new PC account, lack of animated banner poses. Uh, But I guess I had it on my main, so I was really struggling to keep playing. What's the last kind of, what, 10 days been like for you essentially yeah i think that it's been a shame and it, it's really too bad because over the birthday weekend couldn't get really mm-hmm. any games in uh with any degree of confidence um what's odd about this is really it's the first time that something like this for this long has Prolonged. happened yeah um in our memory the last time there were like server issues impacting us was first split of season four where we were having a hard time getting into a game or getting Mm -hmm. past the loading screen this is way different and probably more frustrating actually sometimes being able to get into a game but then crashing out and obviously you're getting you know disconnect penalties or match abandonment and that really is too bad what i find interesting about this is a the whole animation banner pose, if that mm-hmm. is really the issue, that is a really odd issue and it's almost unbelievable. The second thing, and one that is really going to like fishtail into the remainder of this episode, is the idea of how do servers work and mm-hmm. why are they an issue? Because, you know, my background in terms of my degree is in operations and technology management. I took a couple courses on kind of how do you operate servers and the vast majority of the world pretty much uses cloud computing where you're leasing server space. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is it's really easy to scale up and down as demand increases. You can just that month have more server capacity because you don't own the servers and you're leasing them out from a huge server farm. That that being said, it should be pretty easy to increase the server capacity in the last week. It seems like it's been that easy. The question kind of remains, though, are they being honest, kind of, is mm-hmm. what I'm like. I don't want to say that, but I feel like I have to because why didn't you do it sooner if it was that easy? You kind of just flip a switch. Yeah, I mean, from what the developers have said, Dated. I feel like it, it seems like that is part of the issue, but not everything in all yeah. of its entirety. And so if this animation banner is one example, maybe of something going wrong, I don't know. It's tough because then it's like, okay, well, did they have the discussion of 
can we revert the patch and then the game will go back to how it is? I don't know. Yeah. It's it's the struggles of a live service game. One that, you know, Apex is maybe having more struggles than others that we've seen in the past. And that's something we will talk about today. A prolonged uh, change like this is is never good. And I'll just say I am glad that things are looking better now. It was really unfortunate while it happened. I hope a lot of our listeners didn't try to butt their heads against the wall and continue to play ranked and lose RP. That would be a little too bad. So it, it, maybe yeah. for some people, it was a nice little sabbatical from Apex. And now you can come back uh, thriving, more eager to play than ever. <laughs> totally. Another maybe positive spin on it is I think a lot of us realized how much we enjoyed Apex. Oh, yeah. And how much we missed it being, you know, not being able to have access to it was tough. So that's good. I think that means we're in the right place. We're doing the right thing. And, uh, I'm glad that we're able to continue enjoying playing Apex. Yep. Always got to play Apex. Makes life better. Everybody get back into it. Server should hopefully, I mean, as day of this recording, there's supposed to be another patch that really resolves things from the information that's been shared. There has been improvements and it seems like from people we've spoken with, there have been improvements and this patch as of today is supposed to really help out with things. So Hopefully it don't make it worse and we have to go record another episode of emergency. Like, oh, I'm sorry that we gave you guys all faith. But this server stuff brought up an interesting kind of discussion, I think, with a lot of fans and a lot of gamers in the industry. And that was kind of why, you know, we spoke about it briefly there for a second. But one of those reasons is people kind of talk about, well, Respawn, they're a smaller studio. We hear all the time, like that's kind of the stereotype. So we kind of went into this episode today where we want to chat a little bit about, is that the truth? What can we find online to share with you in terms of like actual information about the business of Respawn and EA? Like how do things work? And hopefully we can give you guys information so that your opinions can be well-crafted rather than having to jump to assumptions about everything. And with the caveat that we did some research, you know, like went back to senior year of college again, did like a research report, you know, we, we pulled the information we could, but it wasn't like we were speaking directly with Respawn and getting all their official numbers on things. So caveat on that for sure. Yeah. The question of the day being, is Respawn a small studio? And like you said, Jay, we've heard this time and time again, that Respawn Entertainment is a small studio. They have limited resources. We've also seen that single people have been responsible for legends, security as a whole, map design, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, that's shocking. Mm-hmm. And every time we hear, oh, this is the person that single-handedly designed this town takeover, that's really shocking. Mm-hmm. And... It's incredible because that's so much pressure to have on individuals at a company, yet Respawn seems to have a very healthy culture of anti-crunch, which means they don't have very aggressive deadlines or push their employees to work around the clock. So then it begs the question, how does such a small studio who proudly treat their employees in a civilized manner produce such a popular live service game? It's an incredible feat. Like when you think about it in that way, that we don't like we had 
Since Apex had come out, there was like one instance of someone like leaving a bad review for working there on like glass doors. And then I think that was even uh, proven to like be falsified potentially. And so we have all these people that speak like Respawn's the best place I've ever worked. I love it here so much, like super anti-crunch, which is amazing. And yet they're putting out more content than pretty much any other live service BR right now, which that's a pretty pretty impressive combination to think about like that for a second. Yeah, it's really impressive. And it's just difficult when you hear things like they are so small, they've accomplished so much, but despite them achieving such an incredible degree of success on a game like Apex, they lack resources to do certain things. Even last week when we had the developer on the show, they said, oh, we have limited resources. We probably won't be able to do this or that. And it's interesting. And that's why we're having the topic of this show be centered around this, because if there is success, why can't they afford to reinvest in the team that has developed it? It feels like they deserve it. Well, okay. Let's talk about, I think, like what people that have been following games for a long time, the the conclusion you jump to, and that is the EA kind of answer. Like EA has kind of this, I would say, um, stereotypical kind of like just reputation for kind of being a little money hungry with their games with like Madden and FIFA. They were kind of the first people to introduce loot boxes and those sports games. And they're kind of known for maybe not doing the best things for the players if it costs them a lot of money. And so walk us through the history of EA and Respawn in terms of that acquisition. And maybe then we can spitball about what we think that might mean for the company. Absolutely. So the whole history in a brief way is (laughs) Respawn Entertainment is an LLC video game development studio founded by Jason West and Vince Zampella. Mm-hmm. West and Zampella previously co-founded Infinity Ward and created the Call of Duty franchise. Legit. And they were responsible <laughs> for it, its development until 2010. That's impressive. We'll probably mm-hmm. circle back on that being a very impressive feat. Mm-hmm. In 2010, Activision fired both of them after alleging that they were planning to defect to a new studio run by EA. That lawsuit uh kind of didn't really come to fruition it wasn't heard it was you know it brought in ea into uh legal proceedings uh which ended with activision and ea kind of butting heads in 2012 2 years later both companies settled as did west and zampella west left the company but zampella remains the ceo of respawn entertainment Now, what's interesting here is that EA funded and published Respawn's first game, Titanfall, which released in 2014. And that game was pretty impressive. And Mm -hmm. I can vividly remember the advertisements for it. It was shocking. When it was released, it was a multiplayer-only shooter that won 75 top awards for innovations such as running on walls and battles between foot soldiers and giant mechs, which is just from a balance perspective, staggering. It's one we look back at all the time and we're 
impressed to say the least one of our all-time favorite games but yeah it's interesting looking at this information and being like okay so there's been a respawn ea relationship since the birth of respawn essentially and that's kind of one thing to monitor when people i think assume like i did for a long time like i'm not gonna come into the podcast and tell all our listeners like i knew everything like i had no idea there was this previous established relationship between the two i thought it was EA acquired Respawn. And that was kind of like the, that was the connection that drove things. Yeah. I I think that's what everybody assumed. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty little known that EA has really been a substantial partner in the actual formation of Respawn Entertainment without it being a direct subsidiary. Mm -hmm. And so going down a bit of the highlights on the history of Respawn is they released Titanfall incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Sold over 10 million units, released in 2014. Two years after that, they released Titanfall 2 and only sold a reported 4 million units. Mm -hmm. We both really liked the game. I Mm -hmm. think there's still a lot of people in our community that play Titanfall 2. Um, A lot of questions about why was this game not as successful? Mm -hmm. Um, In the past, we may have blamed EA for, you know, the release being too close to Battlefield or they're just competing with their own titles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what's kind of fascinating is that Titanfall 2 released before the acquisition. So, you know, it, it's tricky because was there communication between the studios and kind of pairing together their release dates? It's not completely safe to assume the answer to that is no. Like mm-hmm. it's very possible they were working very closely together because EA was bankrolling the development of the game. So it's very interesting in terms of looking back and seeing it in 2020, but not actually knowing exactly what happened. Yeah. So, and, and let's like kind of talk about why that's important here for a second. Like the release timing of a game, like why would that have an impact on sales and such? Because for some people, maybe that's not something you think of. Like what if you're like us for a long time, we're Titanfall fans, didn't really care about Battlefield. Like the close release, that wasn't a big deal on our minds. But, you know, there's a lot of casual video game players where $60 for a game, you're going to pick one. You know, and so maybe releasing further away gives you the best shot. It's why you don't see like blockbuster movies try and go compete against each other on the same weekends all the time. It's why we had like Venom move its release so it wasn't going directly against some of the other movies at the time. So there is kind of an actual process and results that come from that. And so if there is an established relationship, if there was kind of some um, maybe I don't know if the word is bargaining, but just some kind of communication mm-hmm. behind closed doors. It, it could have had an impact on the success of the video games. Totally. And I think now, five years later, Titanfall 2 has maintained a semi-healthy community. And that's mm-hmm. quite a long time for no new content to really be rolled out and to still have a pretty healthy player base. So that whole 4 million units compared to 10 million units on the first game doesn't paint the entire picture of the longevity of the title. So, you know, that's just kind of a sticker number. Yep. Outside of that, uh, Respawn has done a few other games. They did a VR game called Medal of Honor Above and Beyond. Quite successful, critically acclaimed. Um, They won a lot of pretty interesting awards that aren't typically given to games. Mm -hmm. Then the big one for us was their Star Wars title, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and it sold... 
10 million units. So that's huge. Like that's as much as the initial Titanfall. Like that's really what those those kind of numbers made Respawn almost famous and put them on the map. And on top of the 10 million units sold because of Game Pass and EA Play mm-hmm. and all that, um, they even exceeded 20 million total players. So that's a very successful game, even considering uh, that it's on top of the largest franchise in the world. So yeah, I know for job. us, we, yeah, <laughs> on top of the largest franchise in the world, but still such an amazing game. Like we weren't really expecting this game to come out of Respawn, you know, Titanfall, one titanfall 2 and medal of honor kind of all shooter war games and instead we're gonna get like a melee combat first like third person storytelling star wars game and i think it's probably one of the most successful games in terms of like having a loyal fan base in a long time most people would consider it maybe the best star wars game that we've ever had and they really surprised people with this one which was really really cool to see at the time yeah, I think that when Respawn took over the development of Fallen Order and was able to deliver something of this caliber, that was a major dub for EA, who mm-hmm. in the past kind of struggled with really nailing the EA franchise. And I think this one was definitely a home run. Yep. Let's talk about the Grand Slam, though. So Apex, the reason we're all here, Respawn developed Apex Legends, and the big sticker number on that is 100 million players. So Mm -hmm. this is really the bread and butter. This is really what Respawn is known for today, and it's big. And before its release in 2019, um, the official acquisition by EA took place in November of 2017. Uh, The numbers that we know revolving around this acquisition that are firm are it was at least 315 million dollars yeah but still nothing like set in stone that we know for sure (laughs) yeah there was potential bonuses on top of that and Mm -hmm. different like stock shares and different metrics that were never publicly disclosed but a large chunk of change almost a third of a billion dollars for this uh small studio and it's very interesting a small studio that, I, I, do we know the exact dates in which Apex started being developed? I feel like we do, but we might not have it in front of us. But from kind of the atmosphere we've heard about the iteration of Apex is that I don't think EA, you know, purchased Respawn saying like, wow, this is the next great battle royale like game yeah. that's going to become a staple for us and drive everything that was almost a bonus in a way which is very interesting and one thing to think about when you look at ea and respawn is they may not have been expecting that they were going to have to support a studio that's creating one of the biggest games that has been out now for two years essentially which we'll talk about like the resources of doing that we're talking about it because the servers obviously struggled but I don't think even for any company, it's an easy task to go from small studio that's developing Fallen Order, a single player game that releases and then you're kind of done to, okay, we're making updates every six weeks and we're bringing on new people. People are leaving for other opportunities and going like, it's a hard, hard thing to do. Yeah, totally. I I think the information that went into such a large acquisition of Respawn by EA is number one, Vince Ampella the creator of Call of Duty, mm-hmm. probably a safe bet by itself. Yep. You put on top of that, 
the success of both Titanfall games and you say, okay, they can replicate a very successful shooter that disrupts the Call of Duty and Battlefield kind of monopoly on the genre, I think that's a pretty safe bet. And we know that Apex was in development for approximately two years. Okay. And it released in February of 2019. So it is possible that there was information about a BR being in development at Respawn before the acquisition, but we also know that they were working on a lot of things. Still and a titan respawn, in the game. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like Apex wasn't a front runner or a top priority from what we know at the time of the acquisition. So mm-hmm. it was still one of many options that they were uh, <laughs> working on. Yeah. But to kind of go into the next part of this conversation and to introduce that, you know, now we know that what really is going on with the relationship with EA? What's the history of Respawn? Today, we know that Apex has earned more than $1 billion in revenue. We also know that Electronic Arts, or EA, is a Fortune 500 company. So why the developers claim that they are a small studio and clearly are given very limited resources? I think mm-hmm. everyone that plays Apex can tell that this is a small team. and. Mm-hmm. Not everything is perfect. We really like the developers. They're like incredibly responsive uh, to the community. We've had many on our show, um, but it's clear that they don't have just blank checks. They can't do anything whenever mm-hmm. they want. So why is that? And, and we know from like conversations with developers as well that like EA is not developing the game per se. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's not a split now where EA is working on the game half the time and providing developers and stuff. It's still respawns shop. There are EA people that have come in. We've kind of seen it and heard from them and dev streams and such, but it isn't this like, okay, well your game blew up. Okay. We're going to, we're going to throw the team. Like we have a team to throw at you essentially to help out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah EA is acting as the publisher. Mm-hmm. Respawn is the developer, EA is the publisher. And so we researched what we could about the size of Apex Legends as a business compared to their closest competitor, Call of Duty Warzone. Mm-hmm. And before we dive into what we've researched, I have to put a big disclaimer. This information is entirely estimated as nearly all AAA game publishers rarely release detailed reports on game revenue, player count, development team size. So if you have more accurate information, please let us know on Discord and feedback. I'd love to have more accurate information and better sourcing. But this is the best that we could do. And I think a lot of it is quite interesting, even if it is broad strokes Mm -hmm. and kind of ballpark estimates. Yeah, I mean, I know I looked at these numbers and such like while we were doing this information research and wow, it was there is some interesting stuff, no doubt about it, but let's get into it. Let's not hide those numbers anymore. (laughs) Totally. And then in the description of this episode, there will also be all of our sources. Totally. Mm -hmm. You know, we did do some calculations, but we didn't just pull these names out of our heads. Uh, And so hopefully it's all grounded in something in real (laughs) numbers. Um, But the first thing to look at is really how can we compare the Apex dev team versus the Warzone dev team? And the best way to do that is to look at the amount of employees. Mm -hmm. And how we really went into this is through LinkedIn. And 
that seems like kind of such a backwards way to do research because <laughs> you should be able to just look up how many people at Respawn are working on Call of Duty and it's, or at Respawn working on Apex. Mm-hmm. That should be publicly available. It's not. It just isn't. Like, it's almost secret, like, what the team sizes are. No, I mean, so, like, it, it is interesting. Like, we've done so much, you know, we spent the last two years researching Apex and, you know, looking for jobs and stuff. It's kind of crazy to see how almost secretive the games industry is from these developers to, you know, like, orgs that are like, yeah. it's hard to find any numbers. Unlike, you know, you go look up Apple, you can find any number that your heart desires. And it, it is interesting, for sure. Pretty much. So, through... LinkedIn on looking at Respawn Entertainment's profile and then looking at the employees who are then able to search on top of that the keyword of Apex Legends. Mm -hmm. And the result of that was 136 employees at Respawn work directly on Apex Legends. And that's out of a total of 562 employees. Rough estimate. Rough right? estimate, like totally. That, yeah, that's what mm-hmm. we think. About 130 are working directly on Apex Legends as kind of their permanent role at every respawn. day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Now, comparing that to Warzone or Call of Duty is even more difficult because <laughs> the development of Call of Duty is spread out across multiple mm-hmm. studios. They release a lot more. They got a lot of content going on with, you know, yearly releases and mobile and then Warzone. Trying to get an actual accurate picture of who is working on Warzone is tough. So we looked at Activision, Treyarch, and Infinity Ward and did the same thing that we did for Apex. Looked at the employees, but instead of Apex searched for Call of Duty and the total across those three companies was 670 employees were working on Call of Duty. Outside of that, the kind of math that we put onto it was take about a third of that and then 40% of those could be working on Warzone. So that leads a rough estimate of about 260 developers or employees working on the Warzone team. And that is about 50% of the estimated employees of Apex, which I think if you were going to make an assumption based on what we talked about earlier, the amount of content pushed out in these games and the quality of content, I I personally, this one was interesting to me. It was like, I would not have assumed that there was a large gap in theory between these two. You know, financially, that does make some sense, which we'll get into in a little bit. But man, like in terms of, how do how does it actually work? How do the developers on Warzone who are kind of theoretically frustrated with crunch, that's like rumors we're hearing at times, run into the not the issue that Apex is having? I don't know. Totally. The fact that they're such close competitors, but looking at what we can about the size of their teams, finding out that Warzone has twice the employees as the amount of Apex employees is pretty staggering. So that alone, both of them seem to be quite small in terms of who's working on it properly. But the fact that Warzone has twice as many on the books via LinkedIn approximately than the Apex team is interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's go to something more in the public domain, and that's the amount of downloads. 
What's interesting here is that Apex Legends and Warzone have similar reported downloads. A mm-hmm. hundred million is a benchmark that both games have achieved. And that's incredible. Huge milestone for Apex and a huge milestone for Warzone, both free-to-play titles. So there's not a huge barrier to entry. Anybody that likes the genre, similar to Fortnite, can download this game and they'll be counted in this total. On top of that, you know, maybe they're equal, maybe they're not, because Call of Duty Mobile, also free-to-play, has 400 million downloads. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the franchise, Call of Duty is substantially larger than the Apex Legends franchise. But when we look at specifically Warzone and Apex, the amount of raw interest or downloads is very, very close. And that's something that I think is interesting because anybody can download it. What does that mean? Like, does hitting that huge number of 100 million downloads mean anything? or nothing at all yeah it's always the fun one we like to discuss like is it active player base is it downloads what's important i mean getting people to download the game though is the first step and so it is interesting to see that they're getting there on equal levels if we take out kind of the call of duty mobile which call of duty mobile is also you know very large outside of the United States, which is one of the reasons that I think we're getting Apex Mobile here soon and the beta is not rolling out in the US. And that's even developed yeah. by Timmy. So that's like developed by a different uh, company as well. So it's it's so interesting to see the layers that Apex is trying to bring in mobile to compete and they're bringing in a larger team as well to do that in theory. We constantly see them hiring for that. So that's going to be one that I think is interesting to continue to monitor because mobile is easy access for everyone and the popularity of the game. Totally. Mobile is definitely the market uh, for Apex to expand into. I think no matter what happens, I'll still be you know, a console or PC player. I think player, we're going to be on the monitors, yeah. It'll be hard to disconnect from the Apex But the Switch, the man. Yeah, the Switch didn't <laughs> work out for me. I, I was trying to play it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and man, it's just not the same. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. Um, and so on top of the downloads, you spoke about the active player base. That's kind of what matters. Um, that does fluctuate a lot. Like mm-hmm. seasons come and go, timings change. People aren't like you and I where they they play different games all the time. They're bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that Apex Legends in Season 9 reported a record of 13 million weekly active players. That's a big number. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Comparing that to Warzone, we had to do a little bit of calculation because the only number that we had access to was... Activision's total monthly active users. So working around some math there, (laughs) taking that monthly figure into a weekly figure and then putting a multiplier on it to determine uh, what percentage of those players are actually playing Warzone, which is free to play, we got to about 22 million. 13 versus 22, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Apex, 40% less weekly active players. Rough, rough estimate, Mm -hmm. but I think it's safe to say that more people are engaged with Warzone on a weekly or monthly basis. And Warzone and Call of Duty, that's to be expected, guys, just so we're clear on that, like kind of having this discussion, like that's a huge IP, been around for a long time. They have 
Call of Duty outside of Warzone, you know, full on other game and campaign and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So the popularity is not something that's like, oh, wow, what a surprise, essentially. Yeah. And like that's one of kind of the tough numbers. We have a record number and a record number from the other ones. And we have Mm -hmm. to kind of compare them in terms of is it are they actually playing the specific game and making it weekly? That's a confusing one, but a rough estimate. The next one is another one that's closer to the public domain. Everybody has access to these numbers, and it's the Twitch viewers. We go back and forth a lot on mm-hmm. how important is this? How important is the number of people watching the game on Twitch or even specifically watching one influencer? Because well, it's hard to say because it can fluctuate so much. Like Totally. We've seen Nick Merckx come to Apex from Call of Duty and that switch is forty to fifty six thousand ish people yeah. watching the game, like leaving one and going to the other, like the competitor. Yeah. So, that, what does that actually mean? Did fifty six thousand people just download Apex for the first time because their favorite guy went and did it? You know, it, it's not as simple as that. There's so much that goes into it uh, outside of that in terms of the popularity with the streamers. Yeah, and what we know about just Twitch in general is it's concurrent viewers so Mm -hmm. the total views is a little bit you know out in the open but i think one of the reasons that we question the importance of streamers or the numbers on twitch is if apex sits around six figures they got a hundred thousand viewers that's great but compare that to what we know the weekly average players being that 13 million that is a drop in the ocean Mm -hmm. on like who are actually playing the game. So this kind of goes into a different discussion on, okay, a big apex talent says something about the game. Is that going to make an impact? If somebody says I'm going to main caustic, is that going to make an impact on the entire player base? Or is that a small voice, even though they have 10, 20,000 average viewers, Mm -hmm. something that we think about a lot, but Let's get into the numbers. I love the numbers. <laughs> we looked at Apex Legends and compared it to Warzone averaged across the 10 months. So the last 10 months is kind of what we looked at. And in recent history, Apex has been doing great. Warzone has been going down. So kind of looking at a more holistic approach of it, Apex Legends has had 28% less Twitch viewers than Warzone. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Um, Warzone in the last 10 months has had an average of 106,000 concurrent viewers. Good job to them. And Apex has had 76,000 concurrent viewers on average across the 10 months. So Mm -hmm. a substantial difference, again, like you said, Jay, fluctuates a lot Mm -hmm. and its importance is up in the air. I will say though, like if you're just going to look at trends, like it does seem to say, okay, hey, Warzone's the more popular game on Twitch. Warzone has more players. And then we'll talk about revenue here in a second. But like there is kind of this continuing trend. So while it's by no means a this plus this plus this equals this, it's like we can look at these numbers and kind of we're starting to paint a clear image of the popularity between the two games by looking at all these figures. Yeah. And finally, the revenue. 
And this is another one that's hard to actually pinpoint. But from our research, we found that Apex has generated more than $1 billion, like we said at the top of the show, and Warzone has brought in $2.6 billion mm-hmm. as kind of a Call of Duty franchise staple. That means that Apex Legends is bringing in 62% less revenue than Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to joke about. That's a pretty big difference. Yeah. (laughs) Before we kind of continue on though and break down this and the money side of things, here's a little word from our sponsors. We are super excited to thank this week's sponsor of the show, Manscaped, the number one provider of grooming products for men. I've been using Manscaped for years now and to have them as a sponsor is absolutely fantastic as they keep it clean and keep it fresh. I was psyched that Manscaped sent us over some of their premium products to try out, including their Lawnmower 4.0. It's the best of the best, and it has a 4,000 Kelvin LED spotlight and skin-safe technology to help you avoid those nicks when you're shaving those sensitive areas. It's really nice to avoid those nicks in the sensitive areas, so thank you, Manscaped. The 4.0 is wireless and comes with a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. I gotta say, it's so sleek, you might even have to put this bad boy on display in your bathroom. I need to throw in as well, do not sleep on their boxers. They're incredible and oh my goodness, I think I'll be buying more pairs soon. The boxers are wildly comfy. The best part about all of this, though, is that Manscaped is providing our listeners with a discount. Use the code THIRDPARTY at checkout to get 20% off plus free shipping. Keep yourself groomed, third-partiers. That is code THIRDPARTY at checkout. Welcome back. So let's talk about it kind of. We got the preliminary numbers there in terms of revenue. Let's talk about... Does Apex kind of make the money? How does it maybe compare to Activision Warzone, which is something kind of important when we see people going on and talking about how, hey, the servers are down and nobody's willing to spend money. Like, should they, yeah. theoretically? It's, it's, it's like these are kind of connected in this discussion. And so that's essentially why we're continuing to dive into this. Yeah, seeing the difference between Call of Duty and Apex in terms of just that sticker price revenue is pretty staggering. But focusing in on Apex, earning over a billion dollars in 30 months is truly incredible. I'd be pretty proud. You start throwing around a number like a billion. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the human mind can quantify that number in dollars, in anything. Mm -hmm. But one billion is 1,000 million. Like that is a lot. The best representation of it is no doubt. Go look up a billion versus a million shown in rice. I think that's one of the best representations of it. It blows my mind. I swear every single time I've watched it, even though I've seen it now multiple times. (laughs) It's pretty cool to try to wrap your head around it. But at this scale, so we're talking huge numbers that may or may not be outside of the human ability to comprehend. Mm-hmm. But at this scale, companies that make a lot of money also have a lot of expenses. Yep. So we try to do some research in terms of what could be the big you know, ticket items on the balance sheet for Apex Legends. Mm-hmm. And we think the biggest costs are going to be the employees and the server cost. Because Apex, in the creation of it, the tools are, it's built on the Unreal Engine, mm-hmm. created by Epic, as free to use for the most part. Like, we're not looking at huge software, like, 
capabilities and in terms of the actual equipment or uh, headquarters of Respawn, that's not really an expense that is going to be incurred on a year monthly basis. And EA has paid for it with their yep. initial deposit mm-hmm. of over three hundred yeah. million. So they're not worried kind of about day-to-day the expenses. Rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Apex makes a lot of money over a billion dollars so far. If each employee made $150,000 per year, they don't. Some make a little more than that. Most make less. If they made that much, 150K a mm-hmm. year, over the last 30 months, the salaries and wages, plus the approximately two years of development for the entire team of over 130 employees would cost $91.8 million. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's a lot of money. That's Nothing what to joke it about. takes. Now but, the server cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of the second one that we tried to look into. This is a huge unknown. We really have no idea what the situation is with EA and what kind of infrastructure they have access to. But if we calculated the absolute max, if we said that they are paying on a monthly basis for a hundred million player capacity servers, which it is far less than that, the approximate cost would be three million dollars per month mm-hmm. or ninety three million dollars over the game's lifetime that both of these estimates are huge, incredibly mm-hmm. conservative expenses estimates so add those both together, you get approximately one hundred and eighty four million dollars in expenses mm-hmm. That's not quite enough because where does the remaining $816 million go? The answer to that is the shareholders of EA mm-hmm. and that's business. Well, and that's business. I, I will say the other, like the other big expense that we could make a huge estimation for. And the thing is we would still have a huge leftover number as we know, EA and Apex, a lot of money put into marketing. We got the rumors of Ninja being paid just at least a million dollars to stream the game for a day on release. There's been continued relationships along those lines. They've done Super Bowl ads. That's the other kind of big expense. But even if we took a huge amount of money towards that, we would still be left with a pretty good chunk of change to help make a successful game. <laughs> yeah, I would say that Apex does not spend a whole lot of money on marketing. They released completely mm-hmm. in the dark, almost paying a few influencers to come to an event. Um, but over the entirety, most businesses operate on like a 20% or more marketing budget. Mm-hmm. For Apex, that would be more than $100 million in marketing budget. I don't think they're even close to that. No, So no. not even half, not even a quarter of that. So I, I think that it's interesting to look at these kind of numbers and see, okay, where's the money going? What could they do if they were putting the resources in maybe different places? Mm-hmm. It's a great theoretical question. One that I think, uh, one that I know you and I both don't have the answers to, but one that I think is a cause for a lot of frustration with fans when you do run into issues in the game like these kinds of servers and your AAA game making billion dollars going down for a week and one that that's not something that really should happen for a company like this. Totally. I think that's why we're all here talking about this. But looking at all these numbers, seeing the trend that Apex is smaller than Warzone in every way, then looking at, you know, 
what kind of resources do they do? What might their expenses be? Is it fair that EA and Respawn should be competing against Activision? And so we looked at some publicly available numbers to mm-hmm. see, are they in the same family? And in 2020, EA made $5.54 billion in revenue, while Activision made $8.09 billion in revenue. That's a lot big, of billions. Big <laughs> difference. Like Activision <laughs> makes a lot more money, but like we said with the first kind of billion dollar breakdown, we're already up to huge numbers. Mm-hmm. So is the difference meaningful? What's interesting here is both companies, EA and Activision as a whole, have about the same number of employees. On a global scale, mm-hmm. they employ about 10,000 people. And that's interesting. Like cool. if you look at a per employee basis, Activision makes a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And we talk about how that kind of, in a way, does come down to the IPs, you know, Call of Duty, you know, you still mm-hmm. got to pay $60 as well if you want. That's going to be a big difference versus some of the free-to-play titles you're releasing every year. I know you went on a, a big research uh, back when we were in high school about how to maybe develop a game like Call of Duty and how it competes in terms of sales. And it, it's a behemoth in of itself and yeah. nothing comes close. So they are swimming in it for sure. And they've, the thing is they have this system now that's proven to work for better or for worse, I think for Call of Duty fans, that's another episode, another tangent you could go on entirely. And so comparing these two is really hard because of that. They operate differently and Warzone's given us the first opportunity to look at these two in a direct comparison because before that it was Call of Duty versus Madden if we're looking at EA. And so, and and those are just, it's apples and oranges at that point. Yeah, it really is. And Despite these differences in size, you know, they're both huge AAA publishers, yep. EA and Activision. They should be able to achieve similar quality in their games, servers, teams, etc. At the end of the day, though, every developer and publisher has its problems. And maybe surprising to the listener and us is the technology of a live service game is very complex even to a multi-billion dollar corporation. It's beyond complex. And there's so much that goes into it. Like everyone can do things differently. We don't know how these companies interact and work internally. Like they may be trying to go to a battle royale in the end, but the process along the way can be totally different just in terms of look at how content's released. Look at how, you know, EA or Respawn created the ping system, which is now being patented and used by other games. Like there's all these examples of different versions of success and so it's trying to like look at these as a whole the best comparison is i think kind of that overshadowing statement of they're both triple a studios they should both have no problems with being able to play their game for an extended period of time (laughs) that's right Well, yeah, that's kind of the deep dive into the EA Activision business stuff. Hopefully you guys learned something. Would love to hear some of your thoughts. Join us in Discord. And if there's any information maybe anybody's uh, aware of that we missed out on, feel free to share. And we're always happy to chat about that kind of stuff. But we're going to wrap up this episode by answering some five-star reviews. The first one is going to be coming from Mega Skull. I've been listening to you guys ever since season nine. My question is this. What is your biggest tips for ranked? I've always been in the lowest tier due to the high amount of sweats. Ooh, yeah, ranked is something that 
we in the past have tried to tailor a lot of our content to because mm-hmm. we think that's where like we think we can make a difference because ranked is way different than how you might play pubs mm-hmm. and it's going to come down to your legend how you're going to play what weapons you're going to play what strategies you're going to do um you want to give them the the high level um here, here's the high level the high level is that ranked shouldn't really change how you play until you get to a certain level in ranked. I think for a lot of us, we look at that maybe as gold or platinum. You know, Once you're still down in bronze, a lot of it is just going to come down to your familiarity and confidence in a first-person shooter with the guns, with the legends. I think that's something that is going to have to be worked on. There's no reward for losing RP, so there's no like there's no benefit or consequence to you know doing something that maybe isn't advisable once you get into those upper levels in terms of strategy as you continue to climb though we start to look at things that can overall improve your chances at placing higher in the game because that's what helps get you rp we have strategies to you know take early fights to get rp confidently and then maybe push for that but i think the one tool we just got to say in a response to any question like this is the survey beacon um, and using that to rotate, plan your routes, go for the power positions on maps where you'll have the best advantage over anyone else. Um, unless you want to say X nade that advice on Olympus, because I think you and I are both a little torn on whether to go that route on that map. It's tough. Placement is really everything in terms mm-hmm. of grinding ranked and it is only amplified as you get higher and higher in the ranks. Um, but yeah, like you said, Shay, focus on the gun skill if you truly are in low, low tiers of ranked. And uh, I'm sure you'll over time climb up into gold and then we can come back and, mm-hmm. and give some more detailed strategies and go through a lot of our episodes too. Totally. I, one, there's a content creator I love. His name's Enoch. And he's like, when if you're in bronze and silver, just drop hot, just drop hot, take fights. It's, it's a long process to get good at apex legends. And the way to do that is to put in as many reps as possible. And to do that, you got to take as many fights as possible. And I will say it took Henry and I a long time to get to a level where we feel confident. Like we always look back at our old accounts when we first started the gaming on apex and we're like oh my goodness how much things have changed we used to not be very good at the game and now i would say we're both above average players and so it's a grind one that you're gonna have to commit to if you want to grind ranked in apex legends totally i think even coming from a shooter background and a titanfall background it took us a year yeah it did it really did and you take any break and it's gone unlike any other game i've played i feel like yeah Last question today coming from Seth Mo. Hey, Henry and Shay, I've been listening to you for a while now and I've learned a lot and helped my friends with in-game knowledge based off your podcast tips and strats. My question is, if you guys experienced any of the ranked arena RP deficits and if you thought Apex would fix it in the future, my squad and I finally hit diamond due to getting anywhere from 14 to 23 RP a match once we hit platinum. Love the pod and hope you guys have a great day. Yeah, I mean, we have talked off air endlessly about the Arena's RP system. And I still don't think you and I have a full grasp on how it's currently working. I think we both have the picture of how it's supposed to work. Um, And like, I'll be honest with you, Seth Mo, like 
I'm not experiencing a ton of these issues because I'm not playing a ton of ranked arenas personally. That's just not what I'm doing with my Apex time. I'm sticking to BR right now. Um, so that's not something I can relate to you with. Um, I don't know, Henry, you've probably played a little bit more than me. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to share? Well, I think it's sad because you were hyped beyond I was hyped. belief. Mm-hmm. Like it was going to be your new life. And mm-hmm. I think for this reason and maybe others, it isn't. I have certainly experienced the same issue in Platinum. Um, It's brutal. I've gone as low as consistently getting 12 RP for wins and 12 for losing. So Mm -hmm. it's very hard to climb. Congrats on Diamond. Um, But I, I hope that there are tweaks to the RP and likely MMR system going into the next season. I'm a bit disappointed, honestly, because it, feels like they pushed back ranked saying that they are really working on a great system. And yeah. I don't think this is that, and it could be better and it won't be like torn down and completely rebuilt into a totally different system where there may be kills, damage rounds incorporated, but I hope for improvement for sure. People are definitely hoping for changes, improvement or not whether it's arenas or BR ranked currently. So yeah, I, I hit plat in arenas and I called it good, like played a couple games and was like, yeah, this is, this is weird. So definitely hoping for a different system because it is something I am, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to grind. Um, if I thought it was something I think worth the time, I think that's kind of where you're at. Like at least where you and I look at it is it's like, I think we would just both rather play BR like personally. And so I hope that changes because I think the concept of arenas is a really cool mode. That's going to create a lot of really good apex legends players. That's going to wrap up the show though. Thank you to our producer of the third party 10 who supports us as a dropship captain on Patreon. Subscribe on Apple pods, drop a follow on Spotify, leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at third party pod and check out the discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the third party podcast. We will catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs>